0: Good morning, it is good to have Pastor T and Noel back with us, amen? Yeah, I want Pastor T to know that the praise team did an awesome job in his absence, but it is good to have them back with us, and uh, we are continuing to pray for your dear mom, Noel, so keep us updated, obviously, and let us know. Uh, Speaking of uh, praying for folks, and I want to keep uh, um, Harrington's in your prayers, Miss uh, Shannon, her dad went home to be with the Lord. Uh, this week, so you keep them in your prayers. I know they appreciate that, okay? So just uh, lift them up. I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Word of God to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Would you look there, please? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read the first seven verses, although we're going to talk a little bit about some other verses that are in the chapter. But after we read these verses, uh, you will see clearly, I would imagine, uh, what we're going to talk about today. Keep in mind that we are not only in Missions Month, uh, Stewardship Missions Month, but we are in a series called Higher. And in this series, if you're new to our church, maybe this is the first time uh, you've been with us, uh, if you're new here, then what we've been doing for the last six weeks or so is we've been focused on getting higher in our relationship, closer to the Lord than we've ever been before in our relationship with God. That's what it's all about. And so when you hear the term Higher, We see something in this text where Paul talks about abounding. That is increasing. If I could say it this way, getting higher in this, whatever this is. And what this is literally is something we call grace giving. And we're going to talk about that. And you'll see what's going on as we read. Beginning in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now I want to pause there for a moment because... The title of this lesson is Highly Favored. Highly Favored. Grace is the favor of God. Can I get an aha uh-huh or an amen? amen? It is not just God's favor, but it is the favor of God that is unearned, undeserved, unmerited by us. He just pours it out. And I love that, that God pours his favor out. And so the Bible says he wants us, Paul wants to tell us, And in this case, the church of Corinth, about the grace of God that was bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, there are three dominant churches there that we believe that Paul is talking about. And those churches would be Philippi, Thessalonica. I said for years Thessalonica until I met somebody from there. And they said I've been saying it wrong. So I don't know. But Thessalonica, Thessalonica. And then Berea, so the Berean church and Philippi and Thessalonica, that's Paul saying God's grace was poured out on these churches in Macedonia. Now, how was it evidenced? Well, let's read on. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Wow, what a verse. And we'll we'll go back and look at it. Verse three, for I bear witness... That according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Now, now hold on. I've lost some of you right now. I, I'm convinced of that. Because most of the time when we read a verse like this, our logistical minds say that makes no sense. We understand what it means if it's according to our ability but most of us let's face it that's a tough phrase to explain or to understand how does someone do something beyond their ability no amen's no aha's no anything you're just you're waiting on the answer it'll come it'll come so verse 4 imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift And the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So he's talking about a gift that has been given now. This is a monetary gift, verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Who's he talking about? The people of Corinth, the church at Corinth. He's saying... Listen, I wanna tell you about the grace that, uh, that God has poured out on the churches that are over there in Macedonia. Now, we want that kind of grace to be poured out on you also, he's saying. And so we're studying this in hope that we too will have that kind of grace poured out on our church, on East Point. And then he says something that I think is a beautiful verse and I think it applies to us. I really do. He said this, but as you abound in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. You know, I, I think about our church, we do so many things well. And I, that, that verse of scripture, I'm telling you, you guys are awesome in so many, many areas. Just like Paul said, the, the people he's writing to, they've corrected some things from 1 Corinthians. Can I get an uh uh-huh or an amen? Or they should have. In one of those. They've corrected some things, and so now he's saying to them, you are this incredible church, so see that you also abound in this area. Room to improve, something a little higher. The gift that is spoken of here, many of you may understand, is a gift that is to be sent to the church at Jerusalem. We read about this over in Romans chapter 15, and beginning in verse 25, two verses there very quickly. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those of Macedonia and Achaia. Achaia, by the way, is the rest of Greece. Macedonia is the northern portion of Greece. And so he's saying, we've collected this offering out of Greece. And we, uh, he goes on to say, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Now, what some of you may already know about church history is when these people gave their lives to Jesus, they were ostracized, they were isolated, and people started saying, wait a minute, those vendors over there, they're Christian, let's not have anything to do with them, and they wouldn't do business with them, and they began to persecute them, and the church came under persecution, and so many of them had become poor, and as a result of their poverty, churches, other churches, said, we're going to minister to them. And so they took up this gift. The special missions offering is what this is. As I was studying this, I was reminded of the old story about the little country church who uh, they were taking up a special missions offering for a missionary that was in need. And, And the pastor got up and he wanted to motivate his people. And he said, now, whoever gives the most during this special missions offering gets to pick three hymns this morning. And so somebody said, I'll give 100. And here, over here, somebody gave 500. And Little Widow Johnson stood in the back and she said, I'll give 3,000. Pastor was shocked. He called her up. He said, Anybody do better than that? Nobody. Nobody. She said, uh, uh, she said Do I really get to pick three? Yes, you do. You three hymns. She said, Would all the men please stand? And she said, I want him, him, and him. <laughs> and uh, that's not what we're talking about, by the way. But it was a. It was a special offering for missions that they were generating, and they gave. Now, this is a very interesting text, and what I'd like to do with you is I'd like to build somewhat of a front porch, as Adrian Rogers used to say, and then, then we'll work on the house. So I'm going to give you uh, three L words or terms. You can fill these in. They're at the top of your study sheet. And I want to mention them to you briefly because I think they're important in the way of introduction. And then we want to pick apart the last word that I'm going to give you with the main outline today, okay? So here are the words that need to go up top. First of all, we have the love of God for his churches. The love of God. The Bible said, I want to tell you, Paul said, I want to tell you about the grace of God that was poured out on his churches. The favor of God that was poured out on his churches. I love this. So grace, we already talked about grace, Uh, being the favor of God unmerited. But let me go a step farther with you. I find this in the scripture, and I want to give this to you because I think it's important that we understand. We find that there are some things of God, some favors of God, favor or blessings of God that are tied to affiliation. What do I mean by that? If you go into the Old Testament, you find the Bible tells us that God blessed the household of Laban because of Jacob being with him. You remember that? Nod at me. And then you might also remember that in the scripture, God blessed the house of Potiphar because Joseph was in the house. Can I get an uh aha or would you agree? And then in the New Testament, do you realize that we even read, if some of you are married to someone who is not saved, that we should not necessarily seek some kind of divorce to occur because God's favor is on the family because of the one who is saved. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm telling you that there is some grace from God that is poured out on his church. And if you're in that church, you receive that glory, that that favor, that benefit, that blessing. If you're not in the church, you don't. You don't. It makes sense to me that the devil would seek to divide you then from the Lord's church. He would seek to pull you out. And he's very successful at that. We could leave here today, right now. We could dismiss at this very moment, which some of you would go into shock since I haven't finished my hour. But we could dismiss right now and go into homes all around here. You'll find people at leisure just sitting there. They don't go to church anywhere. Nowhere. And God has called them and wooed them, and the church is still very effective, but people just are not there to receive the grace that goes along with the affiliation. So I I want to stress that. The the second introductory word would be the the word love. Uh, So uh, I'm sorry, that's the first. God loves his church. Secondly is the local nature of his church. I want you to see that. So the Bible tells us this, uh, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, Now, God could have, the Holy Spirit could have said that differently. He could have said on the church in the region of Macedonia, but he didn't. He said churches. In the book of Revelation, when God gave the message to John, he said, I want this message sent to the churches which are in Asia Minor, the seven churches which are in Asia Minor. He could have said, I want this sent to the church that is located in Asia Minor. You see, many of us fail to understand. We think the church is universal. It's not. It's local in nature. Sometimes God does use phrases because God sees the church as a whole. We understand that God works through the local church, and this is very important for us to understand. It is a a fundamental teaching of the Word of God, especially when it comes to missions. So the only two times there, were, there will be or have been a universal church is when the church first started and there was only one in Jerusalem with Jesus as the pastor. That was the first time. The second time will be at the time of the rapture when all of God's people are together. That's an amen, and I'll take that. And this time it wasn't my granddaughter, so we got others. I, I love the sound, though. It's okay. So here's my point. My my point is that God has given us the responsibility as a local church to do missions. So Jesus said to his disciples, and that early church, I want you to go into all the world. That is to be applied to the local church. Did you know that if we were the only local church in the world, it would still be our responsibility to reach the world with the gospel of Christ? So let's not put it off on somebody else and say, We just want somebody else to do their part. No, no, it's our, what we're supposed to be doing. God works in and through the local church. I know some people who, uh, I want to be careful with this one, Lord. Uh, Have you ever gotten advice from people and you've wanted so desperately to say, if if you don't mind, I, I really won't consider you an expert on that. Have you ever really, does that ever happen to you? It's bad if you're the pastor and, and, and you're thinking, you know, I, I really, I can't, I can't take you as an authority on what the church is. I, I can't do that. And, and so let me just tell you this, that if God wants you in the church and if in the church is how he works, And if he gave himself and loves the church, because that's what the scripture says, and he is the head of the church, then then there's something important. He instituted the family, yes. And he instituted the church, yes. And and I want to say to you that his plan will not contradict each other. God is not the one trying to draw you away from church. You have an adversary who would love to do that. We need to be careful what we blame God for. Having said that, I'm going to move into the third introductory word, which is the word liberality. I love that word, liberality. There's another word I could have used. It does show up in the text. If you skip down to verse 20 in our text, which we did not read, but if you look at verse 20, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 8, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, lavish the gift they gave. I love that word. Don't you let There's just some words, like the word plethora. I like the word plethora. Do you like the word? I'm trying to work that into a sermon somewhere. It's just a great word. Some words, and lavish. I just love that word. It's just a great one. And when it comes to our giving, liberality, the Bible says, is how these churches were giving. They were giving with it. Uh, liberally, lavishing. Wow. We find this. Interesting phrase. So let me talk to you about how you do this. How does a church give this way? How do people give this way? How is it we can do? So there are three dynamics that have to be considered. And that's the course of the sermon today. Uh, we have finished our porch and we're going to move to the, uh, the main house, if you will, as we build this. The first word, if you want to fill in the blank, we, we need to consider this. Uh, we're going to call it our surrender. I want you to notice what they did. The Bible tells us that verse 5, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Wow, what a phrase. So the first thing they did was they gave themselves to the Lord. I have a uh, pastor friend who is now home with the Lord. And for many, many years, uh, his missions programs involved around this neat little phrase he would use over and over and over and over. And I've never forgotten it. And it is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think it's a great. So, so the idea of world evangelism. The idea of global evangelism. And the idea of a church doing what it should do. To be fishers of men. And to reach people for Christ. It, it, it comes down to this. Have you surrendered to the Lord first? Th- that's where it starts. Before anything else. How are you with the Lord? So obviously this involves, number one, you ought to be saved, am I right? You ought to be born again and follow the Lord in baptism. You ought to be part of the church. That's all part of surrendering to the Lord. Then, the Bible says, to them, meaning the missionary. Then to the missionary by the will of God. So let me ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud, but just think about it. Where is the, plus, the, the best place to be Where is the best place to be? Hard to say. I was trying to say plethora in there. (laughs) Where where is the best place to be if you want to know the will of God? Now, don't answer it out loud. I'm going to tell you. In the will of God. You see, there are a lot of people who think they know the will of God, but they're not even in the will of God. How can you know the will of God if you are not in the will of God? What does that mean? If you already know to do some things that God has put in your heart and in your mind and in his word, and they're very clear, and you're not doing those things, then I suggest you are not an expert on the will of God. Amen? Amen? The best place to know the will of God is to be in the will of God. And the Bible says here, first they gave themselves to the Lord. That's priority. That's priority. Surrender What does it mean to surrender? Webster defines the word as, and I'm going to give you two different definitions. The first definition: to yield to the power, control or possession of another." Great definition. Secondly, he said, Webster said, "to give up completely or agree to forego, especially in favor of another." Paul called himself a bond servant. Many of you probably know the history of that phrase. It's a great phrase. Literally, it meant that if you were uh, a servant of a house and you, you received your freedom and the, and the master of the house said, you're free to go. If you wanted to stay because of your love for the master, you would come before, the Old Testament talks about this, you would come before your, your master and you would say, I want to stay here because I love you. I want to serve you out of love. And they would put an awl in your ear. They would, they would hollow out the earlobe so that people, when they saw you, they knew, here is a man who has received their freedom, but they have chosen to remain a servant out of love. Paul said, that's what I am for Christ. I'm a bondservant of Christ. Isn't that what we should be? We've received our freedom. You say, I am free in Christ. Like the song we sang a moment ago. I can do whatever I want to do. Yeah, you can. So why not make that serve him first? Amen. Why not make that a surrender to the Lord first and foremost? And then let him tell us what he wants us to do. The bond servant. Paul used that phrase in Titus chapter 1 and verse 1. So let's talk more about this thing of surrender. We used to sing the old hymn, not the hymn, hymn, and hymn, but the old hymn. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I came across a statement that I thought was a, a tremendous statement. I want to share it with you and then elaborate on it only briefly and then go into the second part of this liberality of grace giving. The statement was this, commitment without surrender will lead to a lack of consistency in our Christian walk. Commitment without surrender will lead to a lack of consistency in our Christian walk. You know why some people make commitments and then they don't make good on them? You know why some people say they're going to do something and then they don't? Typically, it's because there's no surrender. There's no surrender. And so let us start there. That's what they did in Macedonia, in those churches. They started with surrender and then they moved on. So secondly, let me talk about our situation. This has to be considered. Inevitably, when people start talking about giving to missions, we begin to look at our situation. Can I get an uh-huh? Okay, 10 of you do anyway. That's pretty good. The rest of you. We look at our situation and we begin to ask this. We don't understand the question that has been presented to us, which is this. Ask God what he wants to do through you. That, that's, not, we don't, that's not the way we interpret it. Here's what we ask. God, what do you want me to do? And that's a good question. It's just not the best question. Because God may want to do more than you are able to do. Now, right about now, I lose all the logistical thinkers. Got to write pastor off now. He's almost done. He'll be out of here soon. Only one more point after this. So we can, uh, we can just, we'll just dismiss that thought because it makes no logical sense. A person can only do what a person can do. Really? We read in the scripture something kind of unique in a great trial, verse 2, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in riches of their liberality. How do people who are in deep poverty, that's an arresting phrase, how do they give liberally? Wow. Do you know that the truth is that most of you probably have $2,000 worth of junk in your garage? Maybe more. I don't know. If it's not in your garage, it's, your garage is neat. you got a storage container somewhere. Am I right? And, and my point is this. We probably could have a yard sale and give to missions more than we gave last year. Just by what I'm trying to say is that, that we examine our situation and we look at our situation and we try to determine what we can do and what we can't do. And it's more logistical promise giving than it is faith promise giving. There's a difference. There's a difference. They could have easily said over in Macedonia, hey, we really, uh, we're not in a position to help. We understand those people over in Jerusalem. Some of them are experiencing hardships. We're just not in a position to help. Great trial and affliction, deep poverty. But then there's that phrase, the abundance of their joy. Wow. Wait a minute. Joy is not tied to circumstance." Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. This is tough. Galatians five twenty two. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, second on the list. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, what is that? That's produced by the Spirit of God within us. It's not produced by our circumstances. That's why the believer can rise above their circumstances, though they be dire, though they be in despair, though they can be difficult. And a Christian can still experience joy because it's produced by the Holy Spirit. And then you have that phrase, imploring us with much urgency. That's a great phrase. But well, let me go back to verse two. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches Of their liberality. Now skip down. With me for a moment. uh, As we read verse 3 again. For I bear witness. That according to their ability. Yes and beyond their ability. They were freely willing. Uh, I believe it was last week. We talked about a willingness. Are you willing to listen to the Lord? Let's just start there. Are you willing to ask God. If there's something he wants to do through you. That he might not do for you? Is that possible? I think it is. Do you have scripture? I'm so glad you asked cuz I've got one. And I want to share it with you. It's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible and I have a lot of them, but this one is right there at the top, man. It's about a little widow in Zarephath. And we read about this over in 1 Kings chapter 17. I love this story. Let me give you just a little bit of background. Can I do that rather quickly? Okay. Uh, I've got your permission now, so I'll go on. So We've got uh, this incredible story. So Elijah, the prophet of God, is going to show the king that God is God and not him. Uh, And so he declares uh, that God, please God, he, he prays and shuts off the heavens. There's no rain. Well, no rain meant there were famine. There was famine. And famine meant no food. And so God takes the prophet Elijah and he sends him out to the brook. And he tells you, I'm going to feed you there. And he sends the ravens by. And he drinks from the brook. And and he eats twice a day by the food the ravens bring him. And then something happens. Most of you know, the brook, say it, dried up. The brook dried up. And then God spoke to the prophet and he said, I've commanded a widow woman over in Zarephath to take care of you. Only it is my contention the widow woman never got the message. I don't see it. She didn't get it. So Elijah goes to her, and when he finds her, let me read the story to you. Uh, 1 Kings 17, beginning verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath, And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And she called, I'm sorry, he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Verse 12. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I don't find anything in that passage where she says, I've been waiting on you. God sent me a message. He said you were coming. There's not, it's not there. She thought the way most of us think when we start talking about faith giving, and that is I don't have the ability. That's exactly what she's saying. I can't do that. You want me to give you bread. I don't have any bread. I got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and I'm about to make my last meal with my son, and we will lie down and die. That's their situation. And then he says, the unconscionable. Verse 13, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Now, I think you love me but if you were down to your last piece of bread and you had to feed your family and I walked to the door and said, give me a piece of bread before you feed your family, I would think there would be a limit to your love. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. (laughs) Now, if it were broccoli, you'd offer it to me. I know you would. But I wouldn't take it. I'd die. No, I'm just. What are you getting at? I'm saying this is an incredible story. And it has to do with priority. First. That's what he said. Do what you have said, but first. Bake me a little cake. Bring it to me. And she does it. And this is remarkable. Verse 14, he explains. Verse 14. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now I want you to get this picture. We think like this. Tell, tell me if this is not true. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering. If God is going to bless me, then this is what he will do. He will first fill the bin full of flour, and then I can give. If he'll fill it, then I know that must be what he wants me to do. So I will just wait on God to fill the bin. And what we don't understand is, here's the point. God may want to give through you what he will not give to you. There was never any more than one scoop left in that barrel. Every scoop was the last, only there was another after it. Now figure that one out. I have an answer. God. It's a God thing. When you start seeing God work in unique ways, we've already had it happen in our church in the last couple of months, and even today, this morning, I heard of another blessing that God has sent. And my response was this. That is a God thing. It's a God thing. Now some people have no idea what I'm talking about. Because they haven't asked God what he wants to do through them. They keep asking God what he wants to do with them and for them. It's through you. God may use you to reach others with something he's not going to give to you yourself. But he'll take care of you in the meantime. Such a beautiful story. I think it is anyway. The third point. Let me give you the third point, okay? So you've got to consider Not only our surrender and our situation, but last of all, our supply. And I'm going to build on this with you for a moment. So according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave. Imploring us, verse 4 said, with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now, I believe this about that verse that we just read. Uh, Has anybody ever given you something and, and you felt like, I can't take this? It happens to me sometimes it does. Somebody will try to give me something and I don't want it. I just, their situation is such, I look at their situation and I think, no, you can't, no, you shouldn't do that. You really, and that's kind of what's happening, I think. Paul is looking at them and he's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're in, a, you're in deep poverty. You're in a great trial of your affliction. And so then the Bible says they implored him with urgency. It's, it's a matter of, some people, somebody said this to me last week. They said, they said, are you robbing me of a blessing? Don't you hate that? <laughs> Don't rob me of a blessing. When people are grace givers, they implore others. No, here, here Lord. Uh, God's put this on my heart. Lord, I want to honor you by doing this. And it's a unique situation. There, the faith part of the story of the widow at Zarephath, every day, every meal, faith was involved. I'm going to read to you a verse of scripture that you probably have heard. Let me read it, and you tell me if you've heard it. Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If you've heard that verse before, would you say amen? amen? Yeah, I know you've heard it. We love that verse. We hear that verse. We talk about that verse. That verse is quoted when the offering is taken up. And when we talk about missions, that verse is quoted all the time. But what some do not understand is it is tied to the context that is missions related. Let me show it to you. So we're going to back up a few verses. That was verse 19. We're going to back up into verse 16. Philippians 4 verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he said, you have responded time and time again to my needs. Missions. The missionary Paul, he said, you've done this time and time again. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. We talked about the thousands of souls. Over 20,000 souls came to know Christ in Cambodia. And every dollar that our church sent to Global Surge to help with any of that, that is fruit that abounds to East Point's account. The same thing is happening in the Philippines only many times over. This is not an exaggeration for me to say to you that among the 47 entities that we are currently partnered with, we have about 100,000 people that got saved last year through world evangelism. People, you will never meet this side of heaven, but oh, when you get there. When you get there, people will come up to you and say, you know what? You don't know me, but I'm here because you helped send a missionary, because you supported a missionary. That's why I'm here. I came to know Christ because of your global evangelism outreach and the sacrifices that we may have made that God might do through us what he will not do for us. So the text goes on verse 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things set from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And here's the verse. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You can't use that verse without it being in the context of mission giving. Amen. It is because of the ministry to the missionary that Paul said, my God will supply your every need. Churches sometimes become very uh, self-focused. And I don't mean individuals so much as I mean churches as a whole we begin to look at ourselves and say, you know what? That money we sent to missions last year, that would have gone a long way here, right here in Jacksonville. If we hadn't spent all that money, then, then we could have done various things right here in Jacksonville. Yeah, but who knows whether we would have the ministry we have today, the souls that have been being saved, the walk through Bethlehem blessings that he gave us, or any of the others, the Vacation Bible School, who who knows what blessings we would have missed, what needs would never have been met had we not been involved in missions. And now I make that personal. Who knows what you're missing out on if you're not involved in missions. I want to close with, uh, with these two verses that deal with uh, moving along. Uh, let's, let's do this, is what Paul is saying. It's in our text, 2 Corinthians 8, and I'm going to jump down to verse 10. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. So last year, I wonder, were we stirred in our heart to reach the world with the gospel? Last year, I wonder, did God place it in our hearts and minds that we ought to be involved? And have you waited? Have you said, nah, did it slip by you? Paul's advice is, you know what what was laid on your heart a year ago? Don't you think you ought to go ahead and do it? Don't you think it's time? Don't you think it's right? I love that. So our theme this year in missions is simply let's do more in 24. We can do that. If more of our folks would just ask God, God, what do you want to do through me? And then let him speak and see. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. But I, I got to tell you, sometimes it involves scooping the, whatever's in the barrel and using it in order for him to replace it. And he will replace it. And that's the beauty of the faith giving. You can see him do some incredible things. You know where it starts? Surrender. That's where it starts. Surrender. Surrender. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask now, God, that you bless this time, this response time, as we respond to your word and your lesson, your scripture, what the Holy Spirit has put in our hearts and minds. God, help us. Help us to hear from you, to be obedient to you, and help us to begin by a simple surrender. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. In Jesus' name. All heads are bowed and eyes are closed. The response time is open. If you'd like to stand with me, if you don't mind, you'd like to come and pray, you do that. You ask God what he wants you to do. I believe he'll lay it on your heart. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your savior, we want to invite you to come. Find out more about how to be born again. We have counselors, some deacons are available at the doors down front and about midway back along the wall. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, I know they would love to do that. May God bless you as you spend this time with him.